So now I'm going to read from Mark chapter 2. This is entitled, uh, Jesus Heals the Paralytic. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there together, so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We never saw anything like this. Uh, No kidding. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess this got to be a common thing for Jesus. There was always a crowd around him. He was healing, and people crowded in this room so much they couldn't get in the door. But of course, the scribes, I don't know how are these guys even in there. Now, in that, remember the chosen video, they're, out, they're like looking through the window, checking it out. How can you find something wrong with what Jesus did there? <laughs> this guy is lame, and now he can walk. And there's still somebody in the crowd that's like, nah, can he really do that, or should he really do that? Who does he think he is? I'm like, my <laughs> he guys can't walk, and now he can walk, and we're finding a problem with this. This is resistance to the kingdom. Jesus is the kingdom come. Wherever you see Jesus, you see the kingdom. And he's showing that part of the kingdom to come is this thing called healing. But there's still resistance. I mean, how can you find something wrong with this? Well, the good thing about being part of the kingdom is that, uh, well, we have a hard time perceiving what it's like to not be part of the kingdom. And that's a good problem. Have you ever tried to imagine what it would be like to not be in the kingdom, to not have hope, to not trust Jesus? It's a scary thing when you start going down that path. I think we've all tried to do that in a mental exercise, but it's It's difficult, and that's a good thing. The fact that you all believe and you are not resisting the kingdom is a miracle. Every human is born as an enemy of God. A sinner with its intended path would be hell unless there's something supernatural that intercedes on that. Thankfully, you have all been saved. Your faith in Christ is a complete and utter gift, and we thank and praise him, and we should every day for that gift. It didn't come from you. 
You don't deserve it. It's an utter gift, and we are beggars gladly receiving this gift every day. So we should probably go through, you know, Thanksgiving's coming. We're already thinking about Thanksgiving. We should probably go through a list of things that we should be thankful for. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Like, uh, I don't know, Jesus' work on the cross. Thank you. Uh, everlasting life. The promise of a new heavens and a new earth. We have beyond salvation that we've been, we've been brought into a new kingdom. That we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the church. We have hope beyond this world. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We have the ability to communicate with our creator. We have this reality that we're part of, that we're aware of, and it's just given to us. Thankfully, we don't have to figure things out. Everything's a gift. We have it. And the list can go on and on. The promises of God are for sure, they are forever, they are eternal, and they are for you. So be thankful for all those things. So um, what about being, are there any negatives to being in the kingdom? Is there anything that, well, could be, I don't know, on the pro-con list? We got a lot of pros, right? We're thankful. But what about on the con list? What's the negative about being part of the kingdom of God? Well, we see in Luke 14 that we should count the cost. There's a cost to being part of this kingdom. He says, uh, yeah, take on my yoke. It's a light yoke. Uh, I, remember, I still remember one of Luke's sermon. They talks about you know, the light yoke that we live, have as being his disciples, but the really heavy yoke that Jesus put on the cross, he's the only one who could carry that weight. He atones for the sins of the world. He takes it all on. That's the heavy yoke. He's taking care of all the big stuff. Now he says, take on my yoke. It's light. It should be easy. But sometimes I wonder if Jesus, uh, yeah, is it easy compared to his yoke? <laughs> yes, but sometimes for me it can still feel pretty heavy. There's still burdens because I have to fight things all the time. Because he tells me to do things like follow the commandments, love my neighbors. Hey, love your enemies even. He tells me to, uh, I see here he says, be perfect be perfect like my father? Okay, that doesn't seem so light. That seems pretty hard, pretty heavy. And then I have to like, I don't know, even pray for people that are even people I don't like. I have to like forgive everybody. Oh, Ephesians 5, 3. Not even one hint of sexual morality. Not even, no gossip, no dishonoring those in authority to me. I mean, this is impossible. The standard of being a Christian is too hard. Exactly. It is an, it's a demand for perfection on your life. And you know you and I fail miserably. So, okay, light yoke, but come on. This is a really high calling. So... Um, the last thing that you always, you know, when you're, especially when you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and being part of his kingdom, you can go through the good things and go, oh, by the way, you got to follow the commands. You got to tell you, you got to do what Jesus says. Oh, and, and if you're really doing a good job of that, you got this really good promise that you're probably going to get persecuted. And it says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness snake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So yeah, they killed all, a lot of the prophets. They killed Jesus. And it wasn't because he was always saying, keep it up, everybody. A lot of times they were saying, stop doing that really bad thing. And then they killed him. Didn't Luke just read last week when they wanted to stone Jesus? Because he told them, I'm only, you know, back in the day, they only healed one person. A whole bunch of people weren't healed like you people. And they're like, they didn't like that. And they tried to kill him right there. Now, sometimes people will mistake this. I'm being persecuted because of righteousness snake. Uh, maybe you're just not being a very nice person and somebody doesn't like you. That can happen. But people are like, oh, no, I'm being persecuted. I'm like, persecuted because of Jesus or persecuted because you did something wrong? Don't, don't conflate those things. Being persecuted because you are a Christian, being persecuted because of the name of Christ, being persecuted for, for proclaiming his word or saying his word or embodying his word or pointing people in that direction, that is a really different thing. And we're supposed to be rejoicing and glad when that happens. So uh, we all have this problem, and Luke was very clear with this. He says we're all going to die. We have a sin and death problem. So we can go through, here's all the pros of being in the kingdom. Uh, here's some cons of being in the kingdom. But being part of the kingdom is not a decision. <laughs> it's not a pro-con list. It's, it's just really, well, you're all dealing with reality that's been given to you. In, second, in that Second Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, body whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So we have this sin and death problem. We know there's a judgment coming, but you and I are known by God, so we are fine. We're covered with the robes of righteousness. When God looks at you, he looks at his son, and you have nothing to worry on that last day. But for those who are not in the kingdom, this is a day to be feared. And we're not talking about this healthy fear of the Lord, which drives us to trust in Christ. This is a fear as in time's up. There's no more chance. There's no more second chances. Once you bodily die, that's it. And when Christ comes back in the last day, it is a public judgment of what has happened. We will know who has been separated, heaven and hell. So those of us that are in the kingdom, praise the Lord, right? This is a, this is a wonderful thing to know. How about, um, is there anything good for being an unbeliever? Like I talk to college students a lot, and you know, college students can be college students, so I'll ask them questions like, hey, what? Why are you alive? Or what's your purpose in life? They're like, oh, I'm here to have fun. I'm like, well, then why are you in my stats class? And this doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> Couldn't you be doing something more fun right now? No, I'm doing this so I can get more money. Oh, you want to be wealthy. Oh, I'm, and then what? And then what? Well, then I, you know, I want to kind of be famous. I want to do these cool things. I want to travel the world. And I'm like, and then what? Vanity, vanity, just chasing the wind. There is no ultimate goal or purpose in that. They live, they consume, they die. The American way. That is sad. That is hopeless. We have a much higher calling being in the kingdom, which is when we try to do that, there will be resistance. 
So this idea that I'm going to just chase all the stuff of this world leads to no peace. Do we see in, the, in modern day America, are people, we're, we're like the wealthiest people on the planet ever. Are things going well for people emotionally, spiritually, relationally? No, they're actually getting worse. I mean, they, they did have it right in the 90s. More money, more problems. Um, that's, yeah, the 90s people know what I'm talking about. Anyway, having stuff is good, but that's not the point of life. Relationships are good as well, but that's not just what life is. Relationship with the one true God is the good starting point. That is the foundational thing. But if you don't have that, this is all you get. This short little time on earth, that is actually hopeless. So um, are there any negatives for being an unbeliever? Well, what I see is delusion. People are delusional, like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm a good person. I'm not really a sinner. I am not, if God, God's so awesome, if there is one, he'll let me in, right? Because I'm a good. And I'm like, no, nobody's good enough. There's only one that's been good enough. His name's Jesus. And if you're not tied with him, this is going to go poorly for you. Like, no, well, then there's no God. Then you're like, oh, there's no God. So then why do you think and do these things? Oh, because someone told me that would be a good way to live, and I'm creating my own reality. And uh, it's a hopeless end. I uh, work with, um, we have mortuary science at DMAC, and that's, you can, that's something you can study. We actually have a very prominent, very good teacher of it. And I've asked him, he's a Christian, I go, what's it like as a funeral director when you go to a funeral of a believer versus an unbeliever? And he goes, we can tell immediately. Just by the way people are reacting. Utter hopelessness comes to mind, he said, when, when it's an unbeliever. I go, so how about funeral directors? When you have funeral directors who are not believers, how's that go? He goes, poorly. They don't last very long because there's no hope. They're just dispensing of, like Leap calls it, the meat wagon, and then that's it. That's a hopeless thing. This resistance to the kingdom is a resistance to Jesus and his authority, just like the religious leaders. They're resisting his authority to forgive sins. They're resisting who he is. Resistance to the kingdom is resistance to belief. If you are all believers, and you are, you're not resisting the kingdom. We prayed in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You can't screw that up. It's going to get done. Our prayer is, will it be done in and among us? We're asking God to use us, to manifest his kingdom in and through us. We are compelled by the love of Christ to do things it's not like the world. The world is, I do this, you do this for me. You do this, I, right? That's the way the world is. The, this is not like that. The kingdom is this. I give you, I give you, I give you, I give you, I give you. Now go give it to somebody else. <laughs> that's, that's the kingdom. It's a one-way street. It's down and out to the world. I asked my middle schoolers, do you know any unbelievers? Every one of them, yep, yep. I know, some, I know some kids that don't believe in Christ. 
And then they ask me the really hard question for any pastor, any person, why? Why don't they believe? Why don't they, why don't they believe that Jesus who he is? Or how do I tell them about them? Or what's going to change that? And I said, you personally will not be able to save them. That is not in your job description. As Christians, all we do is to stay the truth, the good news, the gospel, that through Christ, that is the only way to be saved. And if they respond, repent, and believe, that's a work of the Holy Spirit using the word to convict them and enlighten them to the truth of the gospel. All we are is a messenger, an ambassador. But if someone does or does not repent, don't take it personally. It's not you they're resisting. They're resisting the kingdom. I remind myself that every time when I talk to my father and share the gospel with him. And I'm very hopeful because he does not resist the gospel anymore. He's agnostic. He believes he's a good person and that he's going to heaven because he's a good man and God's so good and all that stuff, which is the dominant religious view of the West now. But when I share the gospel with him and I tell him, Dad, I want you to be in heaven with me forever and there's only one way, it's through Christ and you need to believe in his work on the cross on your behalf, it is for you. He rose from the dead, Dad. Nobody else has done that, but you and I could rise and be alive together forever in the new heavens and the new earth. What do you think? Are, are you on team Jesus? He's like, eh, I don't know. I'm like, how do you not know? <laughs> He's not resisting me. He's resisting the kingdom. And this is kingdom work. In that 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is very clear that Christ died for everybody, for all, even the wicked, even the people that killed him, even the people who will never believe. He died for them. He became sin for the whole world. The question is, why isn't everybody saved then? And all Paul says, for those of you that have this life in Christ, you are compelled now to live this life. I'm like, Paul, what about all the people who don't believe? Well, there's a ton in the Bible that talks about that. A lot of people want to say, it's all good. Everybody's going to make it. It's like, no, Jesus doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't speak that way. Remember, our default condition is to be enemies of God. But thankfully, Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, like this overwhelming pool that he earned for all of humanity. We have access to it in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He did that for you, he did that for me, he did that for everybody in the world. Now Jesus has the ability to forgive sins. Just like he said, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. He can just say it and do it. He said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He speaks you into the kingdom. God's word 
is powerful. This is my body. This is my blood. This is God's word. It does what it says. It accomplishes it. How about my body? All right? I told you I had a big back spasm, and I was like stuck for a while, and I couldn't, do, I couldn't really move because, you know, anybody had this before? Your back, old people. Anyway, so I was just stuck there, and I couldn't really breathe. It's just a reminder that this outward thing is fragile, breaking. It's not going well. It's only going to get worse, right? It's, it's evident. Paul talks about this outward thing. So we do not lose heart through our outer self is wasting away. No kidding. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You are part of the eternal kingdom of God. And I, this is like when the kids came up to them, I'm trying to explain, how do, you, how do you describe the kingdom to a kid when it's mostly unseen? It's a really abstract concept. It's very difficult. It's hard for us adults. Paul Paul is not an, uh, he's described as kind of a, well, he's not an awesome dude, right? He looks, he's, he's not, on the exterior, he looks like he's a little dude who's pretty weak, pretty beat down, always afflicted, got problems, right? And he's like, yeah, this, this isn't the kingdom. How about this? I'm still got the old Adam in my flesh, and I battle him every single day. And unfortunately, many of you out there get to see the old Adam sometimes, So on the outside, this is not a good representation of the kingdom. This fleshy part that is sinful, this is not a good indication of the kingdom. God does not look at the outside, he looks at the heart. So for all of us, Paul encourages the Corinthians and he encourages all of us, don't look at the outside, look at the heart. Appeal to what's on the inside. That's the thing that only God can change. So when I'm in the hospital with people or I'm in the nursing home, there's sometimes not a hope of healing. That body's not going to get better. The outside is going away. And they're like, well, we're in the kingdom. What is going on here? Why is this happening? Well, because the kingdom looks like that. It looks like wasting away. It looks like Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what the kingdom looks like. That is the epitome of what the kingdom looks like. And it is the most glorious moment of God in history is when Jesus dies on the cross. Beaten, broken, ugly. You've seen the passion of Christ. I mean, if that's even close, does that look like awesome? Hey, let me, I want to be a part of that kingdom. That's the kingdom. That is Jesus. But he did all of that plus took on the sins of the world for you and for me so we are not held accountable. We don't have to pay for those things. He takes that heavy yoke and he gives us his light one and says, follow me. And when we fail, we repent, we are forgiven, and we do it again. So this life of service that we have been called to do, this life of living for Christ, I said it before and I'll say it again. Being a Christian... We're compelled by Christ, we share the gospel, we, we give money, we serve, we 
love neighbor. We do, we do these things, right? But being, the, being a Christian ultimately is just continuously receiving the gifts of God. You all receive the body and blood of Christ today. You receive the gifts of God. That's what it is to be a Christian. You hear the word. You repent. You're forgiven. You keep receiving the gifts of God. That is what it looks like to be a Christian. A lot of bonus people, oh, it's what you do this. And if you do, no. The kingdom is receiving the gifts of God. And praise be to God that we get to receive them freely every Sunday here, but throughout the week. Get in God's word. Talk to him. Pray. Ask for forgiveness. These are gifts that God keeps. That is what it is to be a Christian. You receive the gifts of God today and every day. So I pray as you go out this week until, well, you bodily die or Christ comes again, that you will receive the gifts of God and know that you are not resistant to the kingdom, but you are embodying it. You have Christ in you and that you get to live that out today and every day. Amen? We stand and pray. Nope, oh, nope, stay seated, stay seated. I almost forgot. We got the youth coming in. So we got to get them so they can see their parents. So they're going to bring them in. While we're doing that, we'll do the questions of the day and then we'll stand and pray after that. Uh, so the question of the day can you escape God's judgment by trying to do things on your, your own way? Mm, that seems kind of relevant. Can you escape God's judgment by trying to do things your own way? It gives you some clues there Proverbs, John 3. Um, a fun thing I like to do uh, is uh, try to ask AI these questions, see what they come up with, too. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they're a little weird. Uh, but, yeah, we have, um, well, the judgment has already been done on Christ for us. Isn't that great? So we, we've escaped the judgment. But the world needs to know that there is a judgment that's coming and that there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. So... Are they coming in? Should we pray now? All right. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, opportunity to gather and just hear your word and receive your good gifts. Thank you for just enabling us to, to be your people, to constantly be reminded of what you've done for us through your son and then embody us and enrich us and compel us to go out and live that life that you're called us to be as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now, receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful week.